0: Welcome back, hemming Brainiacs to Buddenbrook's, Buddenbrooks Book three chapter ten. They just will not quit in this pursuit of a marriage. They don't take no for an answer. Talking about what's his face? Grundlich and also Tony's own father. Swim said the Mummer Fish he said I found Tony's PS interesting. The ring is not quality gold and it's rather small, I noticed. I saw this two ways. One, Tony's pointing out to her father that Grunlich is a miser or may not be so well off as he thinks. And two, maybe Tony would think more favorably of him if he had, gave a bigger ring of better quality. Or three, says Zoc, she's trying to find faults with Grunlich to justify going with Morton. Um, Star 15 says, two other reasons to add the PS. Man points out to the possible unstable financial situation of Grunlich and sheds lights on Tony's character. She hates him and doesn't want to entertain the idea of marrying him, but she isn't above trying the ring on. She will always be attracted to shiny material things due to her upbringing. All about family duty and detriment of individual happiness. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, the first one. You know, um, how much importance the family puts on material things. In the first few chapters I of going on and on about or was it like silverware or something and just things that you usually wouldn't really care about and they were really important to the family uh, especially these kind of significant items and what's more significant than an engagement ring and so I feel like her pointing out that it's a subpar would actually ha- hold a lot of weight with her parents um, tells her dad probably knowing it would get to her mum as well Via dad um acoustic eel says not Grunlich threatening to kill himself again and her dad telling her she should maybe feel guilty for his death if he does I know stupid um the dad taking that approach you know of such immature behaviour and actually being on the side of Grunlich on this one is insane to me I expected her parents as acoustic eels to manipulate her into the marriage, but geez, that's some dark psychological warfare on a girl who's still pretty young and hasn't been through much life yet. Yeah, good on her for having the uh I dunno tenacity to stick to her guns so far. For such a young person so manipula to manipula m- malleable <laughs> easily manipulated. Um, She's done well to stick to her guns. Chapter 11 goes like this. It rained in streams. Heaven, earth, and sea were in flood while the driving wind took the rain and flung it against the panes as though not drops but brooks were flowing down and making them impossible to see through. Complaining and despairing voices sounded in the chimney. When Morton Schwarzkopf went out into the veranda with his pipe shortly after dinner to look at the sky, he found there a gentleman with a long, narrow, yellow-checked ulster and a grey hat. A closed carriage, its top glistening with wet, its wheels clogged with mud, was before the door. Morton stared irresolutely into the rosy face of the gentleman. He had mutton-chop whiskers that looked... "'as though they had been dressed with gold paint. "'The gentleman in the Ulster looked at Morton "'as one looks at a servant, blinking gently without seeing him, "'and said, in a soft voice, "'Is her pilot Captain Schwartzkopf at home?' "'Yes,' he stammered Morton. "'I think my father.' "'Hereupon the gentleman fixed his eyes upon him. "'They were as blue as a goose's. "'Are you her, Morton Schwarzkopf?' he asked. "'Yes, sir,' answered Morton, trying to keep his face straight. "Ah, "'Indeed,' remarked the gentleman in the Ulster, and went on. Have the goodness to announce me to your father, young man. My name is Grunlich. Morton led the gentleman through the veranda, opened for him the right-hand door that led into the office and went back into the sitting-room to tell his father. Then the youth sat down at the round table, resting his elbow on it, and seemed without noticing his mother, who was sitting at the dark window mending stockings, to busy himself with the wretched news-sheet, which had nothing in it except... The announcement of the silver wedding of Consul so-and-so, Tony was resting in her room. The pilot captain entered his office with the air of a man satisfied with his meal. His uniform coat stood open over the usual white waistcoat. His face was red and his ice-grey beard coldly set off against it. His tongue travelled about agreeably among his teeth, making his good mouth take the most extraordinary shapes. He bowed shortly, jerkily with the air of one conforming, to the conventions as he understood them. Good afternoon, he said, at your service. Her Grunlich on his side bowed with deliberation, although one corner of his mouth seemed to go down. He said softly, Ahem. The office was rather a small room, the walls of which had wainscoting for a few feet and then simple plaster, curtains, yellow with smoke, hung before the window on whose panes the rain beat unceasingly. On the right of the door was a rough table covered with papers. Above it a large map of Europe and a smaller one of the Baltic Sea fastened to the wall. From the middle of the ceiling hung a well-cut model of a ship under full sail. The captain made his guest take the sloping sofa covered with cracked oil cloth that stood opposite the door and made himself comfortable in a wooden armchair, folding his hands across his stomach, while Herr Grunlich his ulster tightly buttoned up, his hat on his knees, sat bolt upright on the edge of the sofa. My name is, I repeat, Grundlich," he said, from Hamburg. I may say, by the way of introduction, that I am a close business friend of Herb Woodenbrook. Servant Herr Grunlich, pleased to make your acquaintance. Won't you make yourself comfortable? Have a glass of grog after your journey. I'll send right into the kitchen. I must permit myself to remark that my time is limited, my carriage is waiting, and I am really obliged to ask for the favour of a few words with you. "'At your service,' repeated Herr Schwarzkopf, taken aback. There was a pause. "'Her captain,' began Herr Grunlich, wagging his head with determination and throwing himself back on his seat. After this he was silent again, and by way of enhancing the effect of his address, he shut his mouth tight like a purse drawn together with strings. "'Her captain,' he repeated, and went on without further pause. The matter about which I have come to you directly concerns the young lady who has been for some weeks stopping in your house. Mademoiselle Buddenbrook, asked the consul. Precisely, assented her, Grunlich. He looked down at the floor and spoke in a voice devoid of expression. Hard lines came out of the corners of his mouth. I am obliged to inform you, he went on in a sing-song tone, his sharp eyes jumping from one point in the room to another and then to the window. That some time ago, I proposed for the hand of Mademoiselle Badenbrook. I am in possession of the fullest confidence of both parents, and the young lady herself has unmistakably given me a claim to her hand, though no betrothal has taken place in form. You don't say, God keep us, said Herr Schwarzkopf, in a sprightly tone. I never heard that before. Congratulations, Herr uh, Grunlich. She's a good girl, genuine, good stuff. Thank you for the compliment, said Herr Grunlich. Coldly, he went on in his high sing song. What brings me to you on this occasion, my good Herr Captain, is the circumstance that certain difficulties have just arisen, and these difficulties appear to have their source in your house. He spoke the last words in a questioning tone, as if to say, Can this disgraceful state of things be true, or have my ears deceived me? Herr Schwarzkopf. "'answered only by lifting his eyebrows as high as they would go "'and clutching the arms of his chair with his brow blonde-felled fisherman's hands. "'Yes, this is the fact, I am so informed,' her Grunlich said with dreary certitude. "'I hear that your son, Studiosus Medicinae, I am led to understand, "'has allowed himself, of course, unconsciously to encroach upon my rights. "'I hear that he has taken advantage of the—' present visit of the young lady to extract certain promises from her. What? shouted the pilot captain, gripping the arms of his chair and springing up. That we shall soon, we can soon see. With two steps, he was at the door, tore it open and shouted down the corridor in a voice that would have outroared the wildest seas. Meter Morton. Come in here, both of you. I shall regret it exceedingly if the assertion of my prior rights runs counter to your fatherly hopes, her captain. Diedrich Schwarzkopf turned and stared with his sharp blue eyes in their wrinkled setting straight into the stranger's face as though he strove in vain to comprehend his words. "'Sir,' he said, then with a voice that sounded as though he had just burnt his throat with hot grog. "'I am a simple sort of man.' And don't know much about landlubbers' tricks and skin games, but if you mean maybe that, well, sir, you can just set it down right away that you've got the wrong tack, and I'm making a pretty bad miscalculation about my fatherly hopes. I know who my son is, and I know who Mademoiselle Buddenbrook is, and there's no. And there's too much respect and too much pride in my care case to be. in my care case? to be making any plans of the sort you've mentioned. And now, he roared, jerking his head towards the door, it's your turn to talk, boy. You tell me what this affair is. What is this I hear, hey? Frau Schwartzkopf and her son stood in the doorway, she innocently arranging her apron, he with an air of a hardened sinner, Kirk Grunlich did not rise at their entrance. He waited erect and composed on the edge of the sofa, buttoned up tight in his ulster. So you've been behaving like a silly fool, bellowed the captain to Morden. The young man had his thumb stuck between the buttons of his jacket. He scowled and puffed out his cheeks defiantly. Yes, father, he said. Fräulein Budenbrook and I, well then, I'll just tell you you're a perfect tomfool and young ninny, and you'll be packed off tomorrow for Gottingen. Tomorrow, I understand. It's all damned childish nonsense and rascality into the bargain. "'Good heavens, Dietrich,' said Frau Schwartzkopf, folding her hands. "'You can't just say that, you know. Who knows?' she stopped. She said no more, but it was plain from her face that a mother's beautiful dream had been shattered in that moment. "'Would the gentleman like to see the young lady?' Schwartzkopf turned to her grunlich and spoke in a harsh voice. "'She's upstairs in her room asleep,' Frau Schwarzkopf said, with a f- with feeling.' "'I regret,' said Herr Grunlich, and he got up, obviously relieved, "'but I repeat that my time is limited and the carriage awaits. "'I permit myself,' he went on, describing with his hat a motion in the direction of her, Schwarzkopf, "'to acknowledge to you, her captain, my entire recognition of your manly and high-principled bearing. "'I salute you. Goodbye.'" Deidre Schwarzkopf did not offer to shake hands with him. He merely gave a jerky bow with the upper part of his heavy figure— that had an air of saying this is the proper thing, I suppose. Her Gundlich with measured thread tread passed between Morton and his mother and went out the door. Alrighty there we go. That's that chapter for ya Bloody Her Gundlich. He used to just keep his nose out of it. You know what I mean? He's too nosy. Too manipulative. All right. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.